In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. I am so excited for our conversation today with Dr. Jake Bartholomew. He is a trailblazer. He is someone who's been a clinician, an educator, and I cannot wait to hear him talk at Pelvicon 2023. Yes, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview with Jake. I think that he's going to help you all. If you are in this category of folks that are in pelvic rehab and that have not treated men or added male pelvic health to the populations that you treat, I'm excited for you to hear Jake talk because I completely understand and respect anybody who does not want to treat a type of diagnosis or certain person in the population. But if you're on the fence because you are not confident, because you haven't had mentorship in this area, because you took 2A a long time ago and you just don't feel quite comfortable or you're a little bit trepidatious about the unknown of treating this population, I'm really excited for you to listen to what Jake has to say about that in this episode. Yeah, it's an incredibly underserved population, as he points out. And I think he has a really unique perspective as a male treating primarily men to be able to share with us. So I am really excited for you guys to listen to it. With no further ado, here is our interview with Jake Bartholomew. Hey guys, we're so excited to be here with Dr. Jake Bartholomew, pelvic floor physical therapist, Pelican speaker. Jake, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, Jake, I am really excited for everybody to get to know you a little bit on a more personal level, but I am really excited as well to speak with you here about the field in general, about being a male in this space of pelvic health rehab. I think that you can give us so much insight into how the field has progressed and where we still need to go. But first, Jake, can you give us just the little rundown of how long you've been practicing, where you live? What's been happening in your life over the last few years and what you're doing now? Sure. I am 50 years old now, and I've been in Seattle 23 years since I finished PT school at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. I started in general outpatient ortho, and but we had an awesome pelvic health PT that I sat next to, doing notes next to. And so I just kind of threw, um, I don't know, just by sitting next to her, I kind of learned a little bit about pelvic health that way, because I was not exposed to it all in PT school or on any of my rotations. I had no idea. And so sitting next to her, I just, you know, became more aware that it was a thing and that she treated all pelvises. And then in 2008, there was a, a new male pelvic health continuing ed course came out. 
and it was hosted first here in Seattle and she was going to be a lab assistant for it. And she gave me this talk like, hey, Jake, will you please consider taking this course? And then she, because she had a four month wait list at the time for all new patients. And she's like, you know, you could help if you're willing to treat men, they could get in right away. And then I could just get other people in sooner off my wait list. And, and she just saw the look of horror on my face. And she's <laughs> like, just think about it, or maybe just take the course. And then I'm here to hold your hand and mentor you. But even if you take the course and decide you don't want to, that's fine too. So I went ahead and took the course, scared to death going in there, but then came out, I think like most people going, okay, that's not so bad. I can do this. So that started my pelvic health journey in about 2008. So then you started Um, seeing some male patients at the clinic. When did you realize like, hey, this is actually what I want to do? Like I'm a pelvic health therapist now. Because I kept seeing all parts of the body and then, but quickly realized there's very, very few male PTs treating pelvic floor in Seattle. And then I started to realize even broader than that, there's just not that many. And so I stepped away when our first son was born and I took a year off to be home with him. And then when I decided to go back very part time, I decided to only see pelvic floor because I didn't want to get fill up my schedule with knees and shoulders and necks in case a guy wanted to see a male PT, I wanted to be available. So I've limited my practice to that since 2015. Got it. And then can I, I would love to know what it was like and how you've seen it potentially change or not change. But I would guess at continuing education courses, especially starting off, like you were probably the only male in the room. Yes, yes. And luckily, con ed companies were changing their policies by that point to where I didn't have to bring my own vagina to a course or my own anus to the course. Luckily, they just realized we're adults and could practice on each other. But I think it wasn't too long before that, or there were other con ed companies that still required, and they might even still today, some If you're a male taking any pelvic floor course, you might have to bring your own lab partner, which just is such a barrier for so many people. I mean, can you imagine flying to another state to take a class and you have to fly someone with you and the expenses of all that? And if you have any con ed money, it's not covering any. It's all out of your own pocket. So there's just so many barriers. And just what message does that send too when you say, hey, you have to bring your own person? Like, like how welcoming is that trying to get people into the field? Because I've talked to these guys who have messaged me saying, hey, what can I take? And so I try to steer them towards some of the ones that are more inclusive or more welcoming and fewer barriers. So that's one of the big things is training. Yeah. And, you know, I think actually what's funny you say that because I got first trained in pelvic floor in 2006 and there was one male in our class and he had to bring somebody. And that was Mm -hmm. like what it was. And it was like they pushed him to the side. It was like this major curtain barrier thing. And he happened, his nurse, his nurse, his wife happened to be a nurse. And so he brought her. (laughs) But, you know, it was all very much in this back quarter. And then there was a few of us, me included, who, I mean, A, you probably look at her all the time and it's like, that's fine. But like the whole point of going to a course like that is that you need to practice on multiple people. Like 
that's where you get that experience. And so there were a a small few of us, I think it was like three of us that were like, hey, you can come over here to our group. And we ended up creating like a group of six that, and we were just like, that's fine. And the instructors were all weird about it. Oh no, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, (laughs) on lunch, we were like, come on over. And then we took our pants off, you know, it's like, but to your point, that must've been like a very small window of time, you know, right between when you and I were getting in that same learning phase that I'm glad they're changing that rule, at least in some companies are. So that's great. Correct. Right. Yeah. There's still a lot more to go. Totally. Yeah. And then just to kind of follow up with that, because I'm sure that as being a minority in pelvic health, where there, there must have been times where you didn't feel welcome or felt that apprehension. Anything stand out that was just like one of those moments? Like, I literally can't believe this is happening. Yeah. So the very first course I took, it was here in Seattle. Like I said, my coworker was my lab assistant and there happened to be one other male in there. And it was a learning how to treat men course. And so it really was a non-issue, luckily. So my very first experience was non-issue piece of cake. Like no one had to be anywhere separate in the room. And the, I think the instructors are even, I mean, just super welcoming. Like, hey, we have two guys in here. You know, great thing from the get-go. And so then after that course, I, I'm like, ooh, I you know, I still, a lot of people are taking your very first course, you're still pretty scared to go treat the next, you know, on Monday. Um, you're like, do I really have the tools? Do I have this down? And so I was hungry to take more. And so then I signed up for a bowel colorectal focused course next. And it was next offered, you know, like four months later in the Midwest. And it was the same two instructors as my first course. And so I was like, this is cool. You know, I'll know two people. But otherwise, I just, you know, just going in naive because my first experience was great and um, being in Seattle and being around a lot of smart public health PTs, all good. So I fly to this course and walk in day one and go walk in this big room. I just felt like the temperature drop and these icy stab stabbing stairs like going through me like it was so palpable. I was just like, what is going on? Like, what just happened when I walked in the room? And then a little, it took me a minute to process that A, the time we're living in, B, the Midwest, no offense to the Midwest, but you know, I hear consistently that there's a very different feel about openness and draping and, you know, whatever in these courses. And I was just clueless to it. And it was just such a shocking feel. Like no one said anything, but it was a just a palpable feel. I sat in the back away from anyone at the time. I got there slightly early. And so luckily then not really thinking about it, but in the future, I I did this on purpose. I would go early and sit alone so that then anyone that sat by me chose to sit by me. They weren't being, I didn't sit next to, you know, the middle of three, forcing them suddenly to be my lab partner or friend or whatever. And so luckily someone sat for me from who was happened to be from Washington, also a different city who was just totally open and glad I was there. And then also, luckily, as soon as the instructors started speaking and introducing themselves, they said, okay, we want everyone to introduce themselves. Why are you here? Why are you taking this course? And they started in the back. And so pretty quick off, I, you know, I was able to say who I was and I was taking this course so I could learn to just further my education on, you know, I'm really focusing on penis having pelvises. 
Yeah. And then, and luckily, as soon as I spoke and introduced myself, the instructor's like, oh, we're so, you guys are all so lucky to have Jake here. And you actually have a, a male pelvis to look at and a prostate to feel. And you should, and they're just, and the temperature warmed up a little bit. Like it got better by the instructors being so positive and enthusiastic about it. But still, I learned later that, like, I think several participants did not want me to be their lab partner and um, told the instructors, hey, we don't, want them to be my lab partner. And and then the same thing happened years later when I took PF1, you know, it was just truly a vagina having focused course. And I took it because I realized, you know, if I want to be open to all pelvises, if I see a trans patient, I, I want to know all the possibilities and be able to treat that. And because sure enough, I've had trans feminine post bottom surgery pelvises to work on. And I'm so glad I had PF1, but same thing. It was icy cold and people purposely avoided me and did not want to be my lab partner. And others were like, hey, I'm in, you know, yay, I get to learn more from someone else. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm sure that there's more times than that, that you've kind of felt unwelcome in certain forms or fashions. Does that, as a person, does that diminish your desire to be in the field or does that fire you up to like make change and like be that trailblazer? It fired me up because I was already teaching at that time. And that just made me realize how much further we have to go and to try to educate. And I'm not, I certainly not trying to make everyone change their mind because I understand there's religious reasons, there's past trauma, like there's a lot of reasons where certain people are not going to treat a certain population. And I totally respect that. But there's a lot of people who just have a little fear or anxiety or they just don't know. And those are the ones I'd like to encourage to really broaden their education and expertise, because I'd say in my mind, that's the majority out there. I think it's a small amount that really have hardcore religious or their spouse says no or past trauma. I totally, totally respect that. That could be too much. It's a great point to bring up that distinction because I do feel like everybody has the right to treat who they want to treat. But there is, there's that unknown, the, the people that are a little bit fear of the unknown or a little bit fear of what might happen or stories that they've heard in Facebook groups and like thinking that that those anomalies that we're talking about in the Facebook groups of that one person who was inappropriate, like that doesn't happen the majority of the time. You know, I feel like and so I just to get that word out a little bit more and to know that it's okay to be a little trepidatious at first and that you seem to find a, a good mentor and someone that can that's willing to to sort of walk that with you and be there. I think that that's great. And you are one of those people that are, like Jesse said, trailblazing in that way and being that male person that we can like look up to in our field. So really appreciate the work that you've done so far, all the the teaching that you've done and just being present and, and being able to have you speak at Pelvicon, I think is really going to elevate that whole side of our specialty field. I'm really excited about that. And I'm wondering too yeah. about just Jake, what you think about it being a little bit of the way that education is done? Because I know you've taught, I mean, you've obviously gone through a lot of continuing education courses, but you've taught, you've taught at universities. I feel like part of the problem is almost systematic, like what you just said, that pelvic floor one is a vagina focused course. That may be all that somebody gets in their initial training. They may only take that and then go back and start treating. They may not have the ability to take another course for a period of time. Do you feel like that 
the fact that we focus on just vagina, not holders, vagina havers. Vagina, yes, vagina having folks. In that first course, do you feel like that kind of sets that trajectory of, again, people who aren't opposed to treating men, but just have never had the experience, the training, and now all of a sudden they spend two or three years practicing only on a female population, and then that's kind of where they settle into? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a distinction between, or it's just a good point to like, whether it's even mentioned or not, like PF1 or for example, like any introductory to pelvic floor course, it'd be great if it was at least mentioned and addressed. And just, I mean, we just need to broaden it even beyond, like I alluded to earlier, all pelvises, right? Because they're not all going to be vagina having or penis having. There's a growing and growing population in between. Uh, and all in between, not, you know, um, and so I think some of the intro courses are being rewritten and being more inclusive and they might be more heavily, dom- you know, dominant in one area, which is totally fine. But at least let's expose everyone to all the possibilities and let them know. And there's great online options like, you know, it's not the same, of course, as a lab, you know, a hands on lab, but educating these providers as to all the possibilities and there's a lot you can learn online and that you, you know, because a lot of these therapists, I think that will listen to this and be at PelvicCon might be one of the only people in their area. They're from small town. They might be the only one. And that's kind of my concern with if they limit their practice and they really won't see a certain population. I'm like, ah, oh, where's that population going to go? Yeah. Because I think legally you have to be treated, even if you do online telehealth, the provider still needs to be in your state for most, I don't know if it's for insurance or just state law. I mean, because you're, I mean, you're licensed in your state. So, so that's why I just want to encourage, you know, every PT I meet to be open because even if they don't do hands-on, like you can educate that patient so much if you get the training at least. So yeah, so back to being long-winded again, getting back to let's in those first courses or every course, let's at least mention all the options and and get people at least thinking that plant that seed. Yes, 100% agree with that. And then can we just in that same vein, I think what also gets missed quite a bit in some of these introductory courses, and it seemed sometimes more of an advanced topic or uh, something that you do when you get more comfortable treating, right? I feel like there's this overall theme of like, okay, well, just get comfortable treating a vagina and then we can branch out. Also, in that same vein, let's get comfortable treating a heterosexual person and then we can branch out into being inclusive. Can you speak a little bit to just the overall fact that gender and sexual orientation is very different And we need to, as providers, be able to speak that language to folks and make sure that every aspect of their pelvic and sexual health is addressed in this each session. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Do you have any thoughts and feelings about that from like teaching to treating to what does that make you feel like when I say stuff like that? I mean, I guess you're just touching on the overall progression that has been so much better, like the last five years of inclusive language, right? Yes. Because we need to get away from, but it's so hard. I see both sides and I want to be not get angry at people who happen to say a male and a female, but we need to be more inclusive. And well, and the assumptions that go with male and female and heterosexual, right? And when you're, you know, you assume that 
your female patient is, you know, if she's wearing a ring and says she's married, you know, you don't want to assume that she's having intercourse with a penis. And that's often the assumption made. And we need to be so much more inclusive of every patient and come up and there's good language available that it just takes practice. We just all have to practice working on our language, even if, because there's a lot of times no ill intent meant, but we can work on that, you know, saying all pelvises and intercourse. And is that intercourse in happened to be in a vagina, a neo-vagina? Is it in, is it anal and the rectum? You're just touching on how we need to, we can really still improve our language, no matter what patient, no matter how they fit into old societal norms or not, we can all improve. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us to our exciting news. And the one of the reasons why we're so excited to have you speak at PelvicCon is that we're going to bring some of these topics to light. And so at PelvicCon, Jake, you are going to be talking about anal sex, what pelvic rehab providers need to know, and eval and treatment strategies for erectile dysfunction. I'm very excited to be bringing these topics to PelvicCon and to our whole audience. What makes you excited about talking about these topics? I'm super excited because I've never heard them really talked about. And, and I've, heard, I've taken a tiny little online course that's out there and available, but it's just really designed for the general population who might be new to this and they don't have any dysfunction or any issues. It's just someone that might be new to it. And so it's, so it's really written for the newbie with no issues. And so I'm excited to bring this to clinicians and just to get it more talked about, period, because it's always been a taboo topic, right? Like even in the medical world, like I'm guarantee, you know, doctors are not asking their patients about anal sex unless, you know, I live in Seattle and you're going to where we have, you can find a gay doctor who has a giant gay population. And so, of course, they're talking about all the things. But outside of that, you know, I realize I live in a bubble and the rest of the U.S., there's not a lot of talk about this and certainly not from a continuing ed, from an educational therapeutic standpoint. So that's, I'm just excited that, <laughs> and I just might mention this in my talk at Pelvicon, you know, 23 years ago, coming out of PT school, I did not think I'd be standing on a stage talking about anal sex and penises and stuff. Like, there's no way. <laughs> 625 people. And you're going to be like, this is what I am an expert in. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. But what a testament to how our field has changed, though, too, right? I mean, I feel like, again, when I've been in practice for 17 years, like having a topic like this, and this is why Jessica and I wanted to bring you here. You've had some breadth of experience in the field. You've seen how the field has changed. You've been on that leading edge of pushing our field into the being a male provider in that space and then treating all pelvises. And I just feel like I'm really happy that that we're going to be bringing that to more folks here. So that is wonderful. Yeah. And then Jake, what about erectile dysfunction? So obviously another kind of taboo topic, like the only thing we ever see about this is like two people in a field with bathtubs taking Cialis. What makes you excited to, to talk about that? To educate people that there's more than just Cialis as treatment. Again, to get people talking about it because so many men don't report it 
to even their primary care physician for the longest time because it's such a source of shame or they feel emasculated or embarrassed. And so we really need better awareness, better discussions, better information out there. And the earlier, the better, like any issue, right? Like how many chronic pain patients do you see that you're like, oh, only they'd come in, you know, two or three weeks after it started. And I'm seeing them three years that they've been dealing with it and they won't talk about it. And how much quicker would have gotten better if we had addressed it a long time ago. And that's what just makes me feel for all my penis having patients, right? That put off no matter what it is, but something about that area and they don't want to talk about it. And so by the time they find me, it's really bad. And then the psychological layers on that of depression, stress, and anxiety that have built and built because of that. And so that's what I'm excited to talk about. Again, talking to clinicians and providers that they can try to address this with their patients. And even if that's not what brought the patient to them, kind of like you guys talked about constipation, right? Like that's probably not what brought them into the clinic. But if you guys have the paperwork or in your subjective interview, you start to bring up other things and they're like, oh yeah, actually, you know, with erectile dysfunction, someone will say, you know, some of the time I feel like it's only getting 70% hard or, or sometimes not at all. And I'm like, whoa, wow. Okay. Does your doctor know? Because A, you know, sexual health is part of mental health and healthy lifestyle, but B, is it signifying some a cardiovascular issue, a neurological issue, a spinal cord issue, right? Like, so there's, you know, there's some serious red or yellow flags that they might need to be checked out further if they haven't already. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- sometimes I look back at my career and I'm like, wow, when I first was at that hospital program, that was like really awesome. We saw a lot of things that we don't typically see a ton here, just by, by the nature of, of what we do. We don't see a lot of Medicare right. folks, but there we did. I saw a ton of people post prostatectomy where that was one of their main concerns. It was like urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction. And so we were talking about that quite a bit. And I've always kept that as part of my subjective exam. And quite frankly, I've kept it for my cisgender women, heterosexual folks who have painful intercourse. I'm always screening and asking, does your husband also have, if they're married, do they also have erectile dysfunction? Because if we're, there is both ends of that too. If your person is having a hard time or not so yep. hard of a time, quite frankly, <laughs> performing, then then there's the sex encounter lasts a little bit longer and there's more friction and all the things. And so I've always kept that as part of our of our thing, but I'm or our subjective examination, but I'm really thankful that I had that early on. So that we again that you mentioned before that we can practice talking about it more often because the more that we normalize it in our own language and what we ask patients, the better everybody feels, right? Then it's not so right. much of a, right. you know, oh gosh, I'm getting weird. Now you're weird. I'm like, just don't make it weird. <laughs> like, you know, right. yeah. But I'd say, and even I could say a good anatomy review for clinicians and providers here that I want to give in my talk, but it might also be new information. Like again, you know, I didn't get this in PT school and even a lot of my con ed, I didn't get very good pathophysiology erections, right? Like we learn about, you know, the urethra and the pudendal nerve, but we don't learn a lot about the autonomic pathways and where they lie and how, again, as PTs, knowing the anatomy, there's a lot more we can treat than we think about this subject. And so it's not going to be only educating these providers and them educating their patients, but educating your referring physicians 
that when you go to market, you're like, hey, let me take a stab at some of your ED patients, not just your pain patients. You know, let me try, you know, especially if there's not the obvious, like, I don't know, that it is cardiovascular or diabetes or whatever, you know, like, let's look and see if my skills can address the anatomy and help their ED. Awesome. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to have and hear this whole talk that you're going to give at PelvicCon on both of these. One of the things that we do, and, and Jake, I know you've heard this on the podcast before, but we do a, what we call a missing piece series. So from those topics, either individually or just kind of together, what do you feel like a missing piece is around these subjects? Because in general, the missing piece is public health providers treating men. I mean, that's almost the whole puzzle is getting them in the door and being open to seeing all pelvises in your clinic. And then like a smaller missing piece is, are you asking about their sexual health? And so this applies both for anal sex, anal play, doesn't even have to be with a partner. You know, I had two of my most recent hetero identifying males discuss with me that the toy they used for anal pleasure, you know, it wasn't even with their partner or anyone else. And I was so glad they felt comfortable talking with me about that. One of them, it was part of what he thought brought him in. He thought it might have led to a little dysfunction. And then the other one, you know, we were several issues in, it was more focusing on his ED was and some pain, but several sessions in, he mentioned anal play with a toy. And so I was just so glad that that came up and we could discuss it. And so so th those are the big missing pieces is that they're not being asked about, these conditions aren't being asked about either out of a comfort level or ignorance level or just not on your radar. And so I want to put it on people's radars to ask these questions. Awesome. I'm so excited about that for everybody who's going to be with us live at Pelpicon, for people who are going to be getting the recording, just to bring more information around that. And, and that comfort level, I think, is really so important. And I'm really glad, Jake, that you're going to be bringing that topic. I think it's such an important one. So before we let you go, a couple of things. One, people can connect with you, pelvic underscore floor underscore Jake on Instagram, correct? Yes. Beautiful. So it. they can follow you to learn more about what you're talking about here. With all of our guests, we hit you with a lightning round at the end. So if you're ready, we're going to start with this question. What is, I know you spent about half of your life in Seattle. What's the most Seattle thing about you? That I compost, probably. <laughs> like, you we do? Are, oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't turn it into soil myself. We did a, in our last house, we did actually have a big composting bin, but that was before Seattle let you put food waste into your yard waste bin. But then Seattle has progressed to where we can put everything in our yard waste bin, including pizza boxes and then all food, all meat, everything can go. Well, so yeah, that's the most thing. And then the other second thing is probably I'm vegan. And so that that's pretty, uh, that's pretty Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't know any of that stuff. Jesse is always bugging me to like do the right thing with all of the recycle things. And you would like to compost, would you not? In theory, I, I would <laughs> like to be the type of person who would compost <laughs> without actually so it, having to do it. So do you guys not have yard waste? Like does your area not? Right, we do, waste. but then I'm like so literal. I'm like, no, only if we cut down like some leaves on a tree that we put that in there. Right. Like, I don't we put can't food, throw food in there. Waste we can't in throw there. Food waste oh, in. you're you're not allowed. Oh, wow. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So California is a little far behind. We are in in the the red curtain and in Orange County. So maybe if right. that's 
Just teasing. Right. <laughs> okay. Jake, do you have any pets? Yes, we have a two-year-old Bernadoodle. Well, what Gus. doodle? Bernese Mountain Dog and Poodle. Oh. Bernadoodle. No way. It, so it's he, he or she? He. He, he is, identifies as he. Him, he or identifies they. as he. I was like, yes. darn it. <laughs> Shoot. Bad question. He is more of a they since he can't reproduce. True. Got it. <laughs> no, it's still he, him. He just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, him. I don't want to diminish from anyone with a vasectomy. I know, right? Ah, see, this is my this is my brain. I'm like, dang it. We just I know, but I'm getting like better. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Same. So is he big? How much does he weigh? So it all depends. They could be any size because it depends on the size of the poodle because Bernese are big dogs, but right. they can use any size poodle. So he's medium. He's about 60 pounds. He's a nice size. Oh, yeah. But I had a patient that had like but loved Bernice Mountain Dogs. And he like had like three of them and they were enormous. Anyways. This is, yeah, he's a great combo of that lovely dog without the shedding. That's really awesome. Yeah, cool. All right. What's the next one? What are you most excited about in the field where things are going? Just the fact that things are progressing, that I'm seeing way a broader diversity of therapists getting into the field, identifying as all type, a much broader identities getting into pelvic health. And that's what I've really been promoting when I speak at CSM or I teach. I'm just trying to get more diversity in the field and then more therapists and clinicians open to seeing all pelvises in their practice and educating the provider or the referring physicians to consider PT for so many things. Yeah. Isn't that like the domino effect that we end up wanting to affect change that way? Yes. All right, Jake, last question. If you were not in the pelvic health field, if you weren't a PT, if you weren't doing, if you weren't a pelvic floor PT, what profession would you be? What would you be doing? Oh, God, I've thought about this since you asked the panel last year at Pelvicon. There, there's a few things. Like, I really have gotten into sewing since I went, first went to Burning Man in 2010. I learned how to sew. Really? And um, and it's the most fun hobby. Yeah, so on my other Instagram is kind of where I post, like, my creations. It's usually kind of workout clothes. It started off as costumes after Burning Man. I oh, guess, so that's where side about. stitch Jake comes from. No? Yes. Yes. Not and that's it. the double entendre with, you know, I'm a runner by training, you know, by that was running was my identity through college and after. And so it's kind of the side stitch and stitching from sewing my, that was the, where my other Instagram came yeah. from. Nice. Cool, man of many talents. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for being talking at Pelvicon. I know one of the things that you are excited about is the field progressing, but that's also one of the things that you are making happen um, and pushing that thank, forward. Thank and we're you. really excited to bring that to Pelvicon. We're really excited to continue to push that forward. But thanks so much for being on. We just really appreciate you. Thanks for what you guys do. I can't believe it was, did you say 300 episodes roughly now of uh, this podcast yeah over 300 now it's pretty crazy I mean, that's that's a lot of work and that's Thanks. it's really great what you guys are doing for the field too so Thanks, kudos Jake. to you guys and we're super yeah. excited to see you in september i can't wait i cannot wait for pelvicon Nicole, what a great conversation with jake it was really eye-opening hearing what it was like for him being a male in public rehab. And it was really great to hear that he started to see that shift. Frankly, he's been a big part of that shift. 
toward making that more inclusive. But it was really interesting hearing some of those early stories from his training. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you guys got a lot out of this podcast. I am super stoked for you to hear more from Jake at Pelvicon this year. We have chosen him for a reason. His topics are really going to knock your socks off. And I'm just really excited for you to gain a lot of the knowledge that he's going to be putting out. Absolutely. So if you are going to Pelvicon, we're going to be seeing you in September. Make sure, first of all, that you've already got all of your logistics set and join us in taking over a hotel in Atlanta and just be getting excited. Make sure you have your add-ons as well, whether that is the closeout celebration dinner, whether that is the post-con with Jay and Amber, whether that's one of the clinician's lunch or the business owner's lunch, make sure you're getting your tickets for those before those sell out. And if you weren't able to join us this year, look into grabbing the recording. You can hear both of Jake's talks on both anal sex and evaluation and treatment of erectile dysfunction, as well as, what, 12, 13 other ones that from all of our speakers who are all trailblazers in their own right, it really highlights the full breadth of our field. And right now, it's going to be the lowest price you can get that recording for. It's $50 off for that early bird special. You can head to pelvicon.com to check that out and to order that. That's pelvicon.com. So really excited for it. I cannot wait to be seeing all of our Pelvicon speakers in person in not that much time, Nicole. Super awesome. And even if you can't join us, you have the opportunity to learn from these amazing folks. All right. Well, as always, guys, let us know if you have any questions. Feel free to reach out to Jake if you have any questions from his conversation today. But as always, let's keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise. Rise.